You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to third service. Come on, we appreciate you being here. Yeah, our brand new third service. That's you. You're here. We love you. Come on, 1230. We're so, so thankful for you being here. We've been doing this about a month now, and we're glad you are a part of it. Please stay. <laughs> Please stay. Don't go. Uh, a couple things here as we get going. First of all, today's Grandparents' Day. So if you've got a grandparent, you should call them because we're so thankful, aren't we, for all of the grandparents in the room in our lives who make our lives great. Can we give them a hand? Love you all. Thank you to all of you also who participated in our fast just this past week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, plus, plus our night of worship on Friday night. That was amazing. And... A good thank you for being here today because today is going to be a really special day. Uh, I've got some incredible news to share. I think is an incredible story to, to tell you. And I'd like to work that story and that news into this message here in our series in the book of Luke because I think what I've got to share today is perhaps the greatest demonstration of what this series is really all about. Our scripture reading today is going to be from Luke chapter 4. You can follow along here. On the screen. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's the reading of God's word. All his people said, amen. 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 Yeah. Hey, let's start by asking a question. Let me ask you this question. What is the truest thing about you? Hmm? What's the truest thing about you? What do you think is the truest thing about yourself? Now, if you're not sure how to answer, one sure way to find out is to play a game of any kind. A game of any kind, because games have a tendency, and I hate this, to bring out our truest selves. The things we might not even want to know about ourselves, but they just do, uh, years ago, Carrie, my wife, actually made a little meme of me playing a board game. It's got my picture and my face on it, and she wrote these words on it. If winning is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> I think it was her way both of poking a little fun at me and making a major cry for help all at the same time. But, uh, I don't know if you've ever played this particular, a particular icebreaker type game that involves taping a note card to your forehead it's got a famous person's name on it. You guys, anybody here ever played that game? A few people, yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, so you play, you play the game. Each person, again, wears the name of, on a card on their forehead. Uh, they don't know that, what the name is. It's a famous person. And the other people in the room are supposed to give that person and give one another then clues, information, so that the person with the card on the forehead can guess the name. Now, the worst possible scenario with this game, of course, is to be given the name of a famous person you've never heard of. Because then you're in trouble. For example, if you're told your famous person is from Minnesota, 
plays the guitar, five foot two, loves the color purple. You'll never win if you're not familiar with the name Prince. Or should you be, say, too young to recall a certain 1970s era president, the word Watergate wouldn't help you much either. On the flip side, if you're too old to know that Mr. Beast is a massive, yes, I mean, you need to ask your kids or grandkids, uh, YouTube, if Mr. Beast is a YouTube star who also owns a chain of burger restaurants. If you don't know who Mr. Beast is, you're doomed. But let's say you got the name right. Let's say you correctly guessed Prince Nixon, Mr. Beast. Great. Would you know who they really were, though? Would you know the truest thing about them through facts alone? Well, not necessarily because, come on here, knowledge about a person is not the same as knowledge of a person. See, facts alone don't really tell you who a person really is. Facts don't tell you the truest thing about you or another person. See, to know that, to know the truest thing about someone, you don't just need facts, you need a story. Stories can tell what facts alone never could. So, what about Jesus? Hmm? What about Jesus? What's the truest thing about him? Well, to help you with that, the writer of this historical account of the life of Jesus, called the Gospel of Luke, the author Luke doesn't just give you facts here, he gives you a story. And in this story, Luke 4, Jesus, who is from Nazareth, is here in Nazareth, his hometown. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day of worship. And he's in the synagogue. It says worshiping, as was his custom. And come on, somebody, if Jesus can make worshiping with God's people his custom, so can we. Yes. That's right. Y'all did way better than first and second service, who stared at me blankly. Not a rebuke, just a reminder. All right. He's in the synagogue worshiping as was his custom. And the service that day was going in the customary way. The customary order of service in a Jewish synagogue consisted of four main parts. First, there was the opening prayer and praise. There was a reading from the law, that is one of the books of Moses. Then a reading from the prophets. And then a sermon. And this day, Jesus would be the one to do those last two things. This day, he would read. And this day... He would preach. And as far as we know, this would be his first public sermon. Jesus hasn't taught publicly yet. He's done no miracles yet. No one really knows who he really is yet. But he stands up to read a selection from the scroll of the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. So what would he read? Hmm? Which passage would he choose? Which words would he pick up to let you know the truest thing about him? Think about this moment here. Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Christians understand. See, he's had an eternity, come on, in heaven to pick this moment. He's lived 30 years now on earth in anticipation of his first public inaugural address. And out of all the passages he could have chosen to let you know who he really came to be, he picks up and reads this one from Isaiah chapter 61. He reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then Jesus rolls the scroll back up, this sort of the ultimate scroll drop, if you will, hands it back to the attendant, sits down and says, this today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is who I am. I am Isaiah 61, come to life in front of your eyes. I am the anointed one. This means the Christ, the Messiah. I'm the Messiah and I've come to do a few things. I've got a few to-do things on my to-do list. I'm the anointed one. I've come to do these things. Okay, well, what kind of ministry have you come to do, Jesus? What kind of ministry does the anointed one of God have? What's he come to do? Would Jesus say, the spirit of the Lord is on me to defeat Rome? Mm. Would he say, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to take back Israel for the Israelites? Would he say, the spirit of the Lord is on me to be a popular political figure because you do know humanity's greatest need is to have the right political figure in power. Would he say, the spirit of the Lord is on me to help me cater to the wealthy, the powerful, to the winners. Now, Jesus Christ, the one anointed by the Holy Spirit says, I have come to preach good news, wait for it, to the poor poor. Now this phrase, good news, is the Greek word euangelion, where we get our word gospel. He says, I am the Christ, and the Christ has a gospel for the poor. My good news is for poor people. Now, we have to ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? Because on one hand, some people have exclusively spiritualized this for many years. Like, Jesus isn't actually talking about literally ministering to the poor. And by some people, I mean primarily Christians in the West have said this, who tend to have higher standards of living. The language and the connection with people in poverty is not something they're really familiar with. And therefore, theologically, they've been primarily concerned with an individual's standing before God. That's how they understand this. So, but we should, of course, be concerned with an individual standing before God. We must be concerned with an individual standing before God. Why? Because God is concerned with an individual's standing before God. And so let's talk about that for a second because, of course, yes, on one hand, when Jesus says he has a gospel for the poor, that means he's come to deal with spiritual poverty. Why? Come on, you know why. It's because sin impoverishes people. Sin makes you spiritually poor. Sin makes you relationally poor. Sin sometimes makes you financially poor. Sin robs you of opportunities of who you could have become. Sin bankrupts you sometimes. So on one hand, Jesus, yeah, he's talking about your need to come to him as someone, as he puts over in Matthew chapter five, as someone who is not rich in spirit, not as someone who is middle class in spirit. <laughs> no, no, I, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps in spirit, spirit. But to come to Jesus, you come to him, he says, as someone who is, his words, not mine, poor in spirit, acknowledging your spiritual bankruptcy before God. That's how you come or you don't come at all. So you don't come making deals with God. Why? Because you're in poverty. You can't afford a lawyer, right? A spiritual lawyer. You don't come protesting his 
terms. You've got no bargaining chip. You've got no chips at all. You're in poverty. No, Jesus has a gospel for those who understand that they are spiritually impoverished apart from him. They're not just spiritually decent or spiritually imbalanced or spiritually a little mistaken or having an off day, you know. No, but for the spiritually impoverished, you come knowing you're in need of his grace to save you. This is not, he'll tell you, a gospel that is good news for the rich. Unless the rich become poor in spirit and ask for the riches of Jesus Christ to save them. But that's not all he means, because he's not only talking about his mission to address spiritual poverty, though that's true, he's talking about his mission to bring good news to those who with physical, material poverty as well, because Jesus doesn't only have a divine nature that addresses our spiritual poverty, he has a human nature as well that touches our material poverty. See, Jesus comes to earth and says, I am the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is on me and my ministry. And therefore, by implication, all ministry done in my name will be about alleviating and rescuing humanity from the poverty it experiences spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, relationally, and materially. And listen, to insist on anything less robs Jesus to Christ of either his divinity or his humanity. He's saying, this is the truest thing about me. I am the Christ, the Messiah, and I have good news for the poor. So that's the truest thing about Jesus. So, okay. In light of that, let's circle back to the question I asked you a bit a moment ago. What's then the truest thing about you? What's the truest thing about you? Because over time, here's why we're asking this, humans tend to forget what's really true about them, their true spiritual condition, their true spiritual poverty before God. That's one of the reasons why, over and over, Jesus not only invites us, but he commands us to remember the poor, care for the poor, tend to the poor. Because when we love and we serve the poor, we remember that our true story isn't once upon a time. An amazing human being arose in the world and expressed his or her full true self. <laughs> when we connect with the poor, we remember that our true story isn't, oh, my aim in life is to self-actualize, become all I want to be, define myself how I want to, and call anybody a hater who gets in my way. You know? oh. When we engage with the materially poor, it calls us to remember something else that's far more important. We remember then if we'll do this, our heart's true story. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, as the people of Israel, if you remember the story, they're about to cross the Jordan River into their promised land. And as they were doing this, God, through Moses, was commanding the nation of Israel, when they got into that land, to remember to say some specific and formational things every time they came before the priest to offer their sacrifices. He said, every time you go before the priest, here's what you're supposed to say. Bring your sacrifice and say this, Deuteronomy 26. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. See, God was commanding his people to recount their true story, their heart's true story before they ever presented their offering or went home blessed by that priest. 
Who's this person they're talking about? Well, their ancestor, Abraham, was this wandering Aramean. His story lay at the center of their own because Abraham began his story as a wandering nomad for decades in the ancient Near East. For decades, Abraham was homeless. For decades, Abraham was childless. Then, Abraham, again, you may know the story. He believed God's seemingly impossible promise to give him a child, an heir through his barren wife, Sarah. God was faithful to his word. They had the child, the son, named him Isaac. And Isaac's son and grandchildren eventually went down to Egypt. There, the Hebrew people multiplied despite being enslaved. And eventually, God, in the book of Exodus, supernaturally rescued them out of their slavery, out of their poverty. And now, in the book of Deuteronomy, as they're standing on the edge of the Jordan River, about to pass over into their promised land, God's commanding them to remember who they were and where they had come from. Every single time they went to worship, he's asking them, to remember, to remember that they, they were once outsiders and strangers in a foreign land. He was asking them to hold their humble beginnings along with their present worship every time they got before a priest so they could remember any blessing, any achievement they got in their promised land was only the result of the gift and grace of a saving, loving God. He says, you're about to inherit all of this land, but remember, you were once homeless. All of it is a gift from me, so remember. And today, I want to tell you, as Mosaic Church, across our three services, we're gathered here to do the same. We're gathered to remember our heart's true story. Before I was hired here as the lead pastor back in 2010, year before that, in 2009, our fearless Pastor Brett Milliken, come on everybody, yeah, Pastor Brett Milliken began a ministry out of Mosaic to the homeless here in Northwest Austin to elevate the gospel story above some other competing stories that had been at work in this church. Because years before, under some previous leadership, this church had valued the needs and the comforts of the mega and uber super wealthy and rich to the complete exclusion of remembering the poor. And many people here had nearly capsized in the wake of that, here's the word, theological error. And then Brett decided he was going to try to restore what had been lost by gathering a few folks and going out into the streets with some food and some supplies. And those humble beginnings grew into years of countless truck runs stopping with supplies at gas stations in parking lots of very, very inexpensive motels. We'll call them that. And under overpasses to help the homeless and volunteers like Jay and Sherry Lynch. Yeah, and Sherry Lynch. Got that same last name now. And Leah Hargrave and many others learned the name. Many of you were a part of this, learning the names of all the people who didn't just live under the bridges there, but we learned a lot about what comes with inviting people who live on the streets into your congregation, into your spiritual home. And the stories we've lived because we've chosen to love the homeless, they are both legendary and tragedy-filled. For example, one time a, a transgender homeless man died on our doorstep during a women's meeting one night, our volunteers, team members, found the body. Our on-site police officers have occasionally had to draw their weapon in order to subdue some who were making some threats. Countless cups of beer have been spilled and consumed in our lobby. You're asking, can I get that at the coffee bar? The answer is no, you cannot. 
like, well, don't they save, did Jesus save the best for last for the 1230 service? You figure this is our turn today. No, <laughs> no. On occasion, we found some hypodermic needles, used condoms in our parking lot. One Sunday, many years ago, there's a man suffering, suffering this from this psychotic episode, stood in the back and started shouting at me in the middle of the sermon. Now, I know many of you have been wanting to do that for years. He's like your permission giver. The answer is also no. Please keep that to yourself. And of course, many of you served at your own risk and cost last year during winter storm Uri right here on our property. But we lived other stories too. Seen amazing stories of personal transformation. People getting clean and sober, getting off the streets, finding jobs. We've been able to provide eyeglasses and dental care for many. Seeing the restoration of their own dignity and self-image. And we've been blessed to know homeless people who uh, they choose to live on the streets because they just want to serve and care and protect that community. And best of all, most of all, we've rejoiced to see many come to faith in Jesus Christ and find hope and light in God and in their spiritual family. And, but recently, recently, however, there was one story that typifies the sacrifice that's sometimes required when the unhoused become part your community. One Sunday morning, it was a few months ago here in, in, in 2022, we had this really challenging incident with one of our homeless friends in one of our bathrooms. And really, it was on the middle, it was the middle of a Sunday full of all kinds of challenges. But this one was so challenging that to be honest, we asked ourselves these questions. Again, we've been doing this ministry for years, but asked ourselves, why are we even doing this? Why do we do this? Are we even doing anyone any good? And you know, lots of people have asked that over the years here at Mosaic. Maybe you're asking that today, and I understand that because for some people, the presence, the visible presence of homeless here in our community has caused some people to leave Mosaic. And the leadership lesson for us has been this. As church growth strategies go, welcoming the unhoused into your community does not support massive multiplication efforts, nor does it fortify your financial situation, which is important, by the way. And here's why. It's because when housed, financially stable people leave because they don't want to be around the homeless, they take their money with them, which was paying for the street ministry in the first place. See, serving unhoused people can't be considered a church growth strategy if what you mean by growth is numbers. If, however, what you mean by growth is growing people's hearts to love the gospel and to love Jesus more nearly, dearly, and clearly, this will work 100% of the time if the people who come and don't have much are treated as beloved friends, worthy of dignity and care, no matter what they have materially. And sometimes even God shows up to remind us that he is serious when he says that those who give to the poor really are giving to him. Back in May uh, this year, I received this unusual voicemail. It seemed, shall we say, too good to be true. And the voicemail went like this. Howdy. <laughs> My name is James Torrey. And I'm the pastor of Texas Oaks Baptist Church down in South Austin. I've been a bivocational pastor for about 14 years, but I'm thinking about stepping down soon. I was wondering if Mosaic Church, who seems to be aligned with some of our mission, would be interested in potentially having a South location. We sit on eight acres in South Austin. The property is completely paid off and debt-free. The facilities are in great shape, and there's a reasonable amount of balance in the general fund. 
but we are looking for a church that may potentially want to plant a church in a south location in Austin. So if you wouldn't mind contacting me, I'd appreciate it. Well, hang on, wait, hang on. He said he had an eight-acre property in South Austin, totally paid off, plus some cash reserves. He was looking at just giving to us. Was this, was this a prank call? Because this is how you prank pastors, by the way. This is what you do. Like, in the middle of an Austin real estate market gone mad, is he for real? Now, what he didn't know about our story on our side was two things. Number one, leading up to COVID in 2020, if you didn't know, we weren't just at three. We were at four services. That was exhausting. Uh, We were at more than 2,100 in Easter in 2019, looking for what to do next. We hired architects. We had months of discussions, pay the architects for the plans. We still got them. And then in March of 2020, we were roughly 30 days away from coming before the congregation with a potential multi-million dollar financial ask to expand on our current location. Then the world went crazy. Then the world went and got upside down and it seemed like we had lost everything, including that opportunity. And second, coming out of COVID, you know, if you've been here, again, Mosaic Church, by God's grace, has grown again. But before I got that voicemail, we were now looking instead at real estate around Austin to perhaps purchase, maybe to renovate. But the reality was and is the numbers are terrible. Don't know if any of you tried to buy commercial real estate recently, but millions and millions of dollars, sure, if it's un, un, you know, un, uninhabitable, borderline, you know, can't do it or small, we were, it seemed like Abraham's story, at a dead end. Not sure where to go next. And then I got this phone call. When I called Pastor James back, he confirmed I was not actually being pranked. I had understood his intentions perfectly. So I asked him, why? Why would you do this for us? Like, we don't know each other, never seen or met you before. We're strangers. Why us? And he said this. It's because your church serves the homeless. Church serves the homeless. As it turned out, this congregation also has had an ongoing ministry to the homeless community in South Austin. And apparently one day earlier this year, one homeless man showed up to receive their help and services. And when they invited him after that to come back, That Sunday, he politely declined and told them, no, Mosaic is my church home. I feel welcomed there. Yeah. Now, as it turned out, that man, a Mosaic member, was the same man who had made that catastrophic mess in that bathroom on that Sunday a few months before that caused us to ask, is this all worth it? Does God really see? But because... One of our members here, her name is Renee, invited this man to church, and he experienced extravagant love and service and care. Mosaic is now being gifted debt-free, a property off of I-35 and Slaughter Lane in the heart of South Austin. Praise God. Yeah, it's a miracle. A miracle. Here, I don't want you to hear this. It's a miracle that flows from the heart of gospel of Jesus. Pastor Corey, we were talking about this this week in one of our meetings, and she, she made this remark about this whole story. She said this. She says, you know, so many times we think we need to be seen by the rich and the powerful to get something in life. We want the rich or the famous or the popular or the trending <laughs> to comment on our post, help us go viral, blow us up, right? We think we need to be seen by those on top. And if that's you and you're on top and you've got the ability to lift others, please do that. That's not taking away from that. But 
the gospel of Jesus says, if we are seen by those on the bottom, it's enough because we're seen by God himself. And when he sees us, he is able to do in a moment what all the wealth in the world could not. See, spiritually speaking, I wanna tell you today, church, we all share the same story. It is the story of a person who has made a mess that someone else has to come and clean up. We are people who did not have a home of our own. We needed someone to save us. We needed help and care and a place to belong. See, in the end, our story too is that our father, Abraham, was a wandering Aramaean. His father worshiped idols and rejected God, but God, being rich in mercy, spoke to him, redeemed him, and eventually Abraham's family line has produced the ultimate outsider, our Messiah, our Christ. See, the Son of God, he showed up on our behalf, has he not? Cleaned up our mess, invited us into his Father's home where he has clothed us in his clean robes and righteous clothes. He has good news for us, the poor. See, there is, by the way, actually, church, a kind of note card on our foreheads, your forehead, with a name on it. And that person's name and life reveals the truest thing about you. His name and his life is Jesus. It's Jesus. Let me take a moment and pray for us from this moment here before I get to some questions you might be asking. Lord, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you for this truest thing about us. As we now stand in a similar position as your people many years before, we acknowledge our need to remember. And before our high priest, Jesus, we come bearing our heart's true story. We're the ones still also in need of redemption. In a home. And ultimately, you have that for us in your own heart. And for this, we give thanks today. And we also go and do likewise for others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.